Well, we did it, ladies and gentlemen. We are back for episode three of the Battleborn podcast. Today's episode is about an organization here in Nevada called Cares for CCSD. Cares for CCSD, let me see if I can get the acronym right, Community Alliance for Restructuring Education Systems. Obviously, CCSD is Clark County School District, so we're talking about uh, issues involving education, and uh, I'm not going to do it an injustice by trying to describe it all myself. I will uh, allow our guest to do that. I have in studio with me Ed Gonzalez, who is the head founder, top uh, bottle washer slash CEO of whatever, I don't know what his title is, but he, he created Cares for CSCSD with a, with a few other smart uh, people who know a lot more about education than I do. And so uh, we're going to bring Ed on to talk about uh, what cares for CCSD is, what we are, uh, what we are to expect from them. Uh, before we get started, Ed, so you you guys are way smarter than the average person when it comes to education. So there's a vocabulary that comes with that, um, and I wanted to just define a couple words so that as we're just blasting through this, uh, we don't uh, we don't gloss over that. So I have a couple questions for you. So one of the things we're going to talk about is the reorg. What is a reorg? So the CCSD reorg, it was um, an it's a law that was passed in uh, 2015, implemented in 2016, to give more schools more autonomy, to give them more um, control over their budget, and more decision-making at the school level, but also involve um, parents, um, teachers, and staff for the first time into some of those decision-making and give some of their input, too. So it means 85% of like the general ed fund dollars, which are just, you know, have to be decided at the school level. And then the district, which has its own services, um, has the other 15%, and from there, the schools get to decide what they want from the school district and what they want to control at the school level and how to make things work at the school much more um, efficiently than than it's been in the past. Okay, and then uh, we're going to, at the second half of this podcast, we're going to talk about something called carryover. Can you describe or define what carryover means? Uh, carryover is just uh, money that isn't spent um, by a school at the end of the year. It, before this, it was really limited to a few thousand dollars, um, but with, under the reorganization, um, if a teacher, if you had a teacher position that was filled by a sub, the district kept the money. This changed it. It says the school gets to keep that money, and then it starts adding up. So there might be a difference initially of $70,000 between or $60,000, $70,000 between a teacher and a long-term sub. And so now the schools have that money, and then that's you talk about the flexibility of making decisions when that money stays at the school level to help the kids who need it the most. Right. And then SOT, what is an SOT? School organizational team. Um, that's a, a group of um, parents. It has to be majority parents, um, teachers, we call them educators because you have counselors eligible to that as well, um, support staff, um, a student if it's in the middle or high school um, level, and then there's a community member who's a non-voting you can add on to. But what they do is they give advice of, of, um, to the principal about budget, what they call the school plan of, um, of operations, which is like the performance plan, like what are the goals the school should have. And that was for the first time that people at the school level would come together and actually have a conversation. And it's a public meeting to see what they expect from the school and what they want to do. Okay, so the reorg itself and the piece of legislation that created a lot of the stuff we're going to be talking about today I cannot talk about it enough. We're going to try to keep this podcast to a limited time frame today, 15, 20 minutes tops. We're going to have to do a longer format at some point because this is it's complicated. I think it's very interesting. I know there's a lot of people who have invested a lot in this. Uh, contrary to some public opinion, we can talk about some electeds that might not necessarily agree that that's <laughs> happened, but it has. Uh, there's certainly a lot of people on these school organizational teams. Um, 
Every school has one of these teams. They have a board. They have to have meetings on a regular basis. They publish their their minutes and so forth. So this was a thing put in place with some very deliberate uh, deliberate ideas, very deliberate intentions. And so we're going to need to spend a lot more time talking about what those are. And the short of it, it is really we're going to give oversight to uh, stakeholders, right? So whenever we start talking about education, we sort of forget that the community has an interest in education. Parents, of course, do because they have their students there. Uh, even parents of non-students do. And so I, I got to say, um, when I first heard about the reorg, I was like everybody else. I didn't understand it. Then I started peeling it back and it was like, holy heck, this is really complicated. And then I started getting excited. And I remember, I don't remember who said this. You can tell me uh, if you remember. Somebody called it the most, what was the compliment paid? Most innovative uh, education reform. I think I Ever. used it. Ever. Yeah, that was Glenn Christensen. So Glenn Christensen sat over one of the, I think, three initial committees that looked at this, the Community Implementation Council. Um, and if give you a background by Glenn Christensen, he sits on the, um, he was um, head of, like a CFO over at Stations Casino. Wife is an educator, was an elementary teacher for the longest time. Very passionate about education, about making systems work. Um, he's, his name is on the building over in Nevada, a state university on the School of Education. That's how much he cares about this. And, and I'll tell you, Glenn's probably one of the greatest guys you can think of. Somebody from the community, from the business community, mm-hmm. who wants to see education work, people get educated, and, and get us to the next level. And, and he was the one who, who, was, who said that line because it was. It's, it's something that you can almost say, it's not Nevada grown because the idea didn't come from Nevada, but we've tried to take it into our own way. Well, I think the there's no no thinking person talks about reforming education uh, or improving education without talking about stakeholders and people from the community contributing. And I, what shocks me is how ready, willing, and able these people are. Uh, and and that's something that I think the SOT has an opportunity to tap into. The reorg certainly has an opportunity. And again, this thing has got layers and layers. I don't want to go. I don't want to do too much of a disservice by describing it from my perspective. We'll have more time to talk about that for sure. But so, uh, give us a little bit. So I want to talk about why you started Cares, what Cares for CCSD is, why this is what you choose to spend your time doing. Um, probably you should start with a little bit of your background and then a little bit of the background of how the reorg happened so that people kind of get a little context. Sure. I'll give you a little bit, just my legislative history. So in 2015, um, I was a policy analyst and I did communications for the speaker's office um, in the assembly, the, the head of, 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 of one of the houses in the legislature. And so I had to work with uh, David Gardner, the author of this bill. Um, you know, I described myself afterwards as an aide. He'll say, you were much more than that, Ed. And he tells me all the time, but I just, you know, it's the word is what I was. I helped him um, to do things. Um, and so the idea is this legislation passed. It's sort of similar to what we had, um, what's happening now. Talk of a large um, increase in education funding, making sure that we can improve student outcomes. Um, the legislation passed because we, the concern was always we give money to the school district, doesn't make it to the school. Like we don't talk about how money gets from the, from the district to the school level. We always talk about how it gets from the state to the school districts. And so we had about a, a year of hearings. It was bipartisan. Um, you know, we had a legislative committee, which with legislators, you had a what they call a technical advisory committee that had most of the mayors of the cities, business community in there. We had representatives from the teachers union, uh, the, seats, uh, the superintendent, um, Pat Skorkowski, CCSC superintendent was on it. So there was a lot of people on, on it trying to come up with an idea. And they decided instead of like breaking up the district, which was, a, which was the original idea, which was to say, 
how do we make the district more functional? And this probably sounds all familiar to everybody right now, that our departments don't run well, principals don't have a lot of decision-making and processes, and ultimately, how do we get transparency into the process and get more people involved? And so we, we went through that plan, and then in the 2017 legislative session, I was the Clark County Education Association, the teachers union, a lobbyist to make sure that this got implemented and it turned into from a regulation to a law. That's why you hear the term AB 469. That's the law that was codifying this because the district sued. And so that's a little bit of my history. I've been a school organizational team member at multiple schools. Currently, I sit on Hickey Elementary, which is over in um, Sunrise um, Manor, right by Sunrise Mountain High School, Lake Mead and, and Hollywood, to give you an idea just around that area. I've been on there since uh, 2018. And the reason we created this is because this has gone on four to five years six years going on if you talk about the, the, the original regulation and at the end people have a lot of questions of what this is are we even implementing it which we'll probably say universally we're not and no one has been really trained on this for multiple years so we decided to come as a group of people together who've been involved in the educational process to use training to train people what the basic processes are to make sure the law is being implemented and if there's any improvements that need to be made we're more than happy to help out with that as well so that's the short term of it is that this wasn't being done. So we decided to come together and do it. So I'm realizing the difficulty we're going to have today is we can't really fully grasp even the things that you're saying without digesting what this is. Right. And so we're not going to you can't do that in 20 minutes. But if you think about it this way, everybody knows that there needs to be reform in education. Everybody understands that there are issues and problems, even if we don't agree on what they are, or what the solutions are. This what I liked about this piece of legislation was it, it looked at the whole of the situation. It put a direct, practical uh, solution in place in the form of these school, uh, school organizational teams. It created a combination of oversight, involvement, engagement, and so forth. And I don't think anything really can claim to have done that to this point. Mm -hmm. So it's an opportunity really to say, let's move not just time, attention, and money to the individual schools, but let's actually move solutions into each of these campuses so they can get the things that they need to do the things. And and, and remember how big Clark County School District is. You have schools in Moapa, you have schools in Las Vegas, you have schools in Henderson, and the needs of each of those are not the same. You also have highly capable people who are on, on the campuses in the form of these principals and their administrations. And I think the, I, lo I love the autonomy aspect of it. We haven't talked a lot about that yet, but we're basically, we're giving more decision-making ability to the principals. If you're going to pay these people the salaries you pay them and, and, and train them and teach them to do these, to run these uh, facilities, they should be allowed to run the facilities. And so uh, I can make an argument for keeping things central and I can make an argument for decentralizing. And I think what I like about the reorg is it, it has the nuance of enabling both of those things. Unfortunately, you alluded to it a second ago, hasn't really been implemented and may even be the victim of some feet dragging on the part of just about everybody from the from the district to, you know, and, and I think the principals and the people on the at the school level they don't know what or how to do what they need to do. Was that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think so. And, and you know, when we went through some of these hearings, there's natural questions the public would just think they have the answer to, because I did. Who's in charge of a school? And you go, the principal. And then you'd find out, well, not really. Well, who gets to determine how many um, teachers are on a campus? Like, you know, basically we talk about, like, classes are overcrowded, right? And it wasn't that. It was the, the board and the superintendent with the recommendation would determine how much each each class size was. Well, what if they had additional money? 
or if they had something else. How do you work the money? They weren't making de decisions. And we, you know, you, you can look at it from both ends of, of the extreme. Like you look at it from a more conservative angle. It's like a department manager, right? If you, you oversee a division of a large corporation, right? They have decision making, the efficiency and just dealing with that. And then you look at it a more uh, on the other side of a more uh, a liberal or a more progressive aspect, which is you're a leader of a community and you're educating the community and you have the opportunity to, to raise people up from it and neither one of those was happening because i mean the joke i always made is that a mcdonald's manager had more um, autonomy than um, a principal at a school and a mcdonald's manager doesn't have any autonomy okay so so, so cares for ccsd you create it with yourself uh you mentioned david gardner earlier some other people who are involved in education um some heavyweights by the way i've been to some of your meetings and there's definitely some serious minds at work uh, on this so they say okay we got the reorg we need to train uh principals how to do it we need to train the sot's how to function we need to train people how to do these things um in the meantime uh we have a teacher shortage which creates uh, a tremendous amount of carryover money where we basically have money left over from what should have gone to pay these teachers that are now vacant positions massive amount of carryover uh it seems like the electeds can't scramble fast enough to try to get their hands on the money um you know can you talk a little bit about the carryover what you see as being the how this is going to unfold in the in the near term and what you would like to see happen with with the carryover money so when we talked about the plan we realized many of um, the communities you know we're talking about north las vegas the, the west side of uh, las vegas and areas that were more um lower income, more um, higher minority representation who, di who didn't have um, teachers. And that's been historically true in most places, right? It's easier to teach in Summerlin and Henderson than it is to teach in, in some of these communities. Um, and, and they get drawn into there. And so what we, we found out was that if you didn't have a teacher, that that money would go back to the central office and used for something else within the district and education. Some of it went to pay raises, some of it went to uh, infinite campus, some of it just went to other things, right? So it stayed in education, but it wasn't helping those kids in those schools. And so the legislature said that money had to stay there to help those kids. And conversations, even Senator Roberson, who chaired the committee said, was um, that money should go to those teachers at that schools that they're expected to do more, which is helping um, long-term subs with lesson planning, taking on more um, kids because, you know, you have less teachers. And so that money was staying in schools. And initially, they didn't get it when the law was passed. The district had to figure out how to untangle that money. Um, and then in the midst of that, we have a teacher shortage. Like, we're at critical levels. And, and the salaries go up for teachers and benefits, which is natural, and the long-term sub doesn't. So that spread gets more. And so it goes from, like, 50 million, you know, and it keeps building up. And in this last report, I saw it's 150 million from last year that they said was the teachers' vacancies and the money that was saved from it. Well, that's a lot of money. And I think the problems that we have with that is that people start wondering, well, what can we do, right? Schools are trying to figure out, the district is trying to figure out that. And, there, and, the, and there's been um, the state board looking at it and saying, there's things the district has done as barriers to prevent schools from spending that money. But now the legislature sees a big pile of money and says, that should go back. Now, there's an issue with that because you have these schools who essentially have earned the money by not having the teacher. And it's not like they're not trying to find a teacher, but they've got, they can't use that money for some odd reason to help get more teachers to come in. You would think if I have a lot of money, I can give an incentive for somebody to come in, even coming from outside, but we have that disconnection. And so they want to take it back. And that was a whole conversation, which was you're not spending the money and you're hoarding it. And it's not true at all. In fact, principals are spending money. Principals are attempting to do it, but 
they're not doing the one thing they want to do. And I heard one um, Paranesso team member recently saying it's like having a car and having a dead engine and not being told you can fix the engine and fixing everything else. So you're like blinging your car up. But you, we need to have teachers. That's going to help these kids succeed. And so there's a concern if you don't want to take money out of our poorest of schools to send it back to the state, which in those dollars will go to, part of it will go to Winnemucca, will go to Elko, will go to Minden, not going back into those schools. And so it's, it's extraordinarily problematic. So to put it in perspective, the money came in through its normal channels, went through collective bargaining, mm-hmm. teacher salaries and contracts and so mm-hmm. forth, administrator salaries and contracts were all negotiated. Mm-hmm. Everything was settled. The money comes in. There's a shortage of teachers. Therefore, there's the leftover money for those teachers. So almost, I mean, I think we're, I think one of the areas where you and I sort of phrase things differently is I say by accident, this money has been perfectly distributed. Uh, I think you understand that there's a little more deliberation behind that. But the idea of pulling this money back to the state is so offensive to me because you basically have the money where it needs to be. It's already distributed and it's distributed in a fashion that the most needy schools will have the money that they need. Um, I don't understand the hoarding comment. I read that too and and I've asked a number of people and they all sort of have a different take on it. But uh, the idea that the money would not be spent immediately, I don't find to be bothersome at all. In fact, I think it's one of the smarter things I've heard uh, about the carryover is that there's schools who, while they may not have an immediate need, or might just be working through prioritizing what their needs are and figuring out where to spend the money, they're not going crazy to just dump this money as fast as they can. Well, now there's a clock because the legislature says we're going to take the money back. Now they are scrambling. People are scrambling to try to use the money. And I don't necessarily have a problem with that either, except that I think it might lead to waste. It might lead to some other things. What I'd like to see happen is the money needs to stay at the schools. It needs to be yeah, they need to have a, a system, and there there already is a system for um, managing what they spend the money on and making sure that it's not wasted or spent on things that it's not supposed to. I even heard uh, uh, a comment in public the other day about, well, they just want to use it to give it to the teachers. Well, if you have a, a set of students coming to this school, they didn't start turning away students when the teacher shortage happened. They're still servicing the students at their various schools. So the, the teachers that are behind and the staff that's behind still servicing at that level with a shorter number number of of teachers and a shorter number of staff members, why wouldn't you pay them more? They're doing more work. They have to be. So you know, It's not like the kids just sit there and wait for their teacher to show up when you hire a teacher. So in the meantime, they're combining classes and creating larger class sizes. They're, uh, you know, there's any number of scheduling gymnastics that principals go through uh, to make the day-to-day operation of the school function. And so they're doing more work. Why wouldn't you share it with them? Why wouldn't you let them come up with some kind of a formula? And, you know, I this comes back to the autonomy thing. I think you have people on, you either trust the principals or you don't. You either trust the principal, the, the people you have working in these business units or you don't. And if you do, and we should, then I say give them the ability to, to decide how to budget, how to spend, and what to do with this. Um, you know, it's almost as if we've gotten so used to having a shortage of money in schools or the idea of a shortage of money that they're ready to recreate that circumstance when for the first time that I know of, money doesn't seem to be a problem. It seems like there's money everywhere yeah. and, and they can't wait to take it back out and push it back through a system that's just going to reduce the amount overall that goes back to these schools. And I want to add something to that too, because you're right. We've had federal money come into education, the COVID money. We had... Um, you know, we have a large increase in state funding. 
And a lot of that came from education here is a lot of it's funded by sales tax. We had high inflation. That just means in two years of our budget cycle, it means a lot of money um, got piled up, which is pretty easy to pass down to education when it's sitting there. Um, and you start looking at some of these aspects. And so there's $231 million where you look and go, that's a lot of money sitting in schools. But one of the things you'll look at is, is most people are aware of like donors choose and, 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 and teachers asking for money, right? There's probably no school that needs to do that because schools have enough money to cover those projects. But now we have a legislature who passed legislation to say, well, if you put a donors choose project up, we'll give you, we have $10 million that will help doing that. Well, that makes it harder for schools to spend money on their supplies because we sort of created an incentive for people to essentially ask the community for money that schools really don't need at the moment. Um, and a mechanism from the state to give that money and where the school just doesn't have to spend their own. So it's, there's some oddities in that sense. But I agree, Rich, in the sense, this is probably the first time we really had a conversation where we're not like short on money on education. If you go to any school right now, you're gonna know that's not the case because there's there's so much money um, sitting at schools and these ex, you know these um, carryover funds in a sense. Um, but we also have a conversation when we talk about education, especially now, less to do with student achievement and more to do about salaries and pay. Um, and there's other issues that we have in schools, which is we have enough um, staff members like for school psychologists to make sure that we uh, identify special education needs, to make sure they're getting the services at the time frame that they need, um, making sure remedial programs um, are going up and strong. There's, there's about a five, six, seven major things that we can still really start talking about, but we don't because when we talk about education, a lot of times we're just talking about pay, which is not a bad thing, but it's not the only thing that our schools need. So there's something about sitting on the outside looking in, which is where I put myself. And I'm noticing, I know what the annual budget is for education in Nevada. It's in the billions. Mm -hmm. We're talking about a few hundred million dollars. And the ideas that I hear coming out of schools, the ideas that even that we've discussed are game changers. You're talking about adding whole positions, student advocates, you know, a, a position of a person who just is there to ensure student success. Um, they don't get bogged down in the administrative stuff and all the other, uh, all the other jobs. They get to focus on what actually needs to be done. Maybe truancy officers. We've got an attendance issue across the across the state, but across the district for sure, that can be addressed. Uh, incentives for whoever, right? For staff members, for teachers, whatever. I know there's some debate about whether that's appropriate or not. I, I, I've already said I think it is. At the end of the day, my favorite thing about this money already being at the schools is a significantly significantly small amount of money compared to the overall budget is going to be is is seems to be able to make a tremendous amount of change and that's you know i'm not trying to make an accusation here but you throw a billion dollars at education and by the time it gets down to the schools it's not a billion dollars anymore this money is 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 enough money that I, that I think principals have actually had to take a moment and say, wait a second, I'm not used to having access to these kinds of funds. There is no mechanism for me to be able to do some of what I want to do, which I find interesting because we always say money and the shortage of money is the issue. But now the money's there and there's no process to actually make, you know, to make it happen. They can't literally cannot pay for things. They literally don't know how to ask for or how to order the thing that they're, that they're trying to accomplish. Um, but I think the most profound thing is, it's not, I mean, it's a tremendous amount of money, especially on a school-by-school -school basis. But when you look at it in the overall scheme of things, I, I think I said this to you earlier, we've, we've sort of already distributed it to the schools. Uh, there was a legislator in California a long time ago said the, the second hardest thing is to get education appropriations, to get money spent on education. The first hardest thing is getting it down to the classrooms and to the schools. This money's at the school already. So there really isn't a reason uh, to yank it back, particularly if 
they can create some excitement. And, l- and listen, we talk about the shortage and the vacancies. Think about the people who are left behind to do the work while those vacancies exist. Why not give them, just make it a little easier. Just give them some options. Give them some opportunity to actually pay for things and do the things that they want to do and to fund some of the programs that they may, may never have been able to before. Or just make it easier for them to fund the things that they're already doing that they're doing well. Um, so our goal here for the today's podcast was supposed to be about 15 minutes. We're coming up on 25 minutes. This is what I'm talking about. There's no way to have this conversation and not and not just go and go and go. And so I don't want to I don't want to go for too much longer. Um, I I would uh, give it back to you, Ed, for for a few minutes if you want to. If there's anything you want to add or anything that you feel like we haven't covered that you want to talk about. Well, I, I want to highlight one thing when you talk about this money being transformative, and it is. Um, Look, I've been working with, we've been doing some trainings with a county commissioner, Tick Sagerblum on the east side. He's got, um, what, 25, 30 schools in the unincorporated areas of his district, you know, outside the city of Henderson, outside the city of Las Vegas. Um, about $40 million are those carryovers. And the last one we had, which was, I think about a couple weeks ago, um, when we had the conversation with um, school organizational team members, I was mentioning how, you know, we can make a great, strong effort to get parental engagement with this large amount of money. And we know parental engagement is one of the keys to making sure kids get educated well. You know, the fact that we can put in money to make sure kids are coming to school. Like, we've never seen an opportunity. And I don't mean just here in Nevada. I just mean the nation. But we've created a system that allows for that opportunity. And the legislature, in its effort just to see money spent, and not to be spent well, just to see money spent, we're going to lose that chance. Do me a favor. So we're already over time anyway. Let's just blast through the, the, the time barrier. Uh, so you're already having training sessions. You're already talking to educators. You mentioned uh, Commissioner Segerbloom. Uh, so this isn't just Ed Gonzalez talking about education or this isn't just ideas. You guys are actually on the ground implementing or trying to implement this, doing training with people. Uh, talk, talk about that just a little bit. Um, so the idea I know with Commissioner Segerbloom was to create a you know, more of an education board there, and it's a lot in the law, and I don't want to introduce a new term into this late time. But the idea is, like, this legislation was bipartisan. You know, Commissioner Sagerblum and I, we don't see eye on all the issues, but when we work together, we'll work together, and I'll work with anybody, right, to get there. And so the idea was there is saying, how do we take some of this money that's sitting at schools and to see how we can get some of the needed services for those schools? And he's been very good at, at, at wanting to have those kind of conversations. And it turned into, well, the 2,000 or so members in the school organizational teams don't really know what's going on and we have a lot of turnover there's you know a a new ones come on every year whether it's a parent or a teacher and we need to really teach them like what they're going to do and what they can do and it's the basic stuff that you know you'll learn the basics about how to vote in a meeting how often you meet which is once a month but it's a visionary stuff that doesn't get taught and and then you get feedback from them too to to see what are other stuff we can do like look the reason why parents are we wanted them involved is because parents give a different perspective like, you know, they're not the boss of the principal, but they can share some things that maybe schools can do. Excellent. Well, uh, I'm happy to see thoughtful, intelligent, articulate people engaged, uh, particularly in the types of things that you guys are doing. Uh, I, again, I can't say enough about the reorg legislation itself. Um, we definitely need to do uh, another podcast. I'd like to get some other people in here too, just to talk about it from their perspective. And so it's not just you and I sort of praising the same thing over and over again, but there's a, there's a, a depth to it that I don't think is as knowledgeable as you are. I don't think in our conversation, we're going to quite cover everything we need to cover. So I would definitely like to see 
um, some other people brought to the table. I, of course, always uh, appreciate your time. Uh, I know there's uh, any number of things that you could be working on right now. So coming in and helping me with my, my little podcast and getting the information out, of course, it's very much appreciated. Um, we definitely blasted through our 15-minute uh, goal. We're approaching our 30-minute mark now. So uh, with that, I'm going to go ahead and uh, sign off and just say uh, look forward to the next education podcast. We'll do one uh, coming up. We've got a number of them. Don't forget to visit uh, battlebornpodcast.com. Uh, once again, caresforccsd.com is the website for Cares for CCSD. Uh, thanks to Ed for his time and for coming in, Ed Gonzalez. Um, and I'm looking forward to doing this again. Much appreciated. Hope you guys uh, found it as interesting as I do. Uh, and looking forward to you joining us on the next one. Uh, take care, everybody. Have a great day, and we'll see you soon. Bye.